My son and I recently went to see the most recent Marvel release. It's a movie about Doctor Strange. He's one of the primary characters in the Marvel Universe. And he is, according to his title, a master of the mystic arts, which begs a little bit of a question about what mystic is. See, in the films, him being the master of mystic arts is manifest in the ability to open portals to different universes or cast spells that send power waves that knock over buildings or enemies. My son and I had a really interesting conversation about mysticism and religion and spiritual and what makes a thing spiritual, what makes a thing mystic after the fact. I found myself referring to things that I discussed with Kevin Sweeney during this conversation you're about to hear. Kevin's book, The Making of a Mystic, is a really interesting take on his journey towards mysticism and his practice of those things that we might call, or might not call, depending on who you are, mystical. I think you will enjoy this conversation. I think you'll be challenged by it. I really enjoyed it. Check it out. Boom. We are uh, we are actually off and running. Where are, you, where are you right now? Where are you calling me from? I'm in Honolulu, Hawaii. You are from Hawaii? Or you ended up in Hawaii? I'm a- originally from Los Angeles and came here right after high school and basically stayed. Although my wife and I lived in Costa Mesa for five years after we got married. Well, you've lived a tough life there from uh, Southern California to Hawaii. It's a, just and been dragged around you, some of the darkest corners of... <laughs> the only places I've ever lived and my wife and I went to school in New York City for a while. So I basically oh. skip over all of the U.S. I go from New York to L.A., Orange County, and then to Hawaii. And in the rest of the middle, I'm like, New Mexico and Tennessee is the same to me. I don't know what, what's <laughs> oh, <wow>. happening. <laughs> uh, what did your wife say in New York? Where were you? Well, this was a long time ago. So we went to college there at Hunter College. It's a CUNY up there. It's on 68th and Lexington. So we went to college there for a little bit. And she lived in the dorms in Gramercy. It's like 25th and 1st, I think. And I lived in the Bowery yeah. by the Lower East Side before it was cool. <laughs> like, I went there recently. I was like, babe, I told my wife, I'm like, babe, the Bowery's like sick now. When I was there, it was like you people want to speed walk through it. <laughs> That's very funny. Do you have a place... Uh, that feels most like home does hawaii feel most like home because you've been there since high school ish like does that feel like home does i mean is where you're born feel like home talk about what home is for you where's home <laughs> well i mean home is obviously where the heart is so it's oh, right here with us right that's now what, that's what i'm asking <laughs> well geographically i mean i left where I was from in Los Angeles, very intentionally, very, are we recording? Are, are we yeah. just going? Yeah, we're just nice. going. It's just a, we're just talking. So I left Los Angeles at 18 very, very intentionally. So, I mean, that's a part of, you know, the story. You can see glimpses of it in the book. You yeah. know, I had existential crisis at 17, mushrooms as a spiritual guide for me at that point. Um, a spontaneous awakening moment with God at 18 and a complete rewiring of my consciousness and re-altering of my life after that led me yeah. to give everything to that which I experienced in that moment that would later on would identify as being present in yes. Jesus, um, which is a unique story of how you get there. Yeah. But leaving Los Angeles for me at that point was I'm trying to get sober at that point. I got to get away from where I am. So when I left LA, I was like, I'm, I'm done. Yeah. Like, I'm done. And so, contextually, you didn't see, you didn't see a pathway 
to stay geographically. There was a kind of a, is it about power? Is it about patterns? Like what's that about where you have to leave a place in order to get healthy? That's a great question. At that point, you know, I'm 18. I have been in a life of, you know, drugs and money and basketball and hip hop. And that was like my whole life at that point. And Every when you're in a, an environment, everything we weren't even texting at that point, by the way, we had no Kia phones. We did have cell phones, but we weren't texting. I graduated high school in 03. I'm 37. But everything's one. I run into this person in the corner away. Yeah. Everything is. And also, it wasn't just oh, I got to get out of here to try to get sober. It was I just gave my whole life to prepare myself to play college basketball. And when I had this experience of God, I walked away from it. I was yeah. like, I don't want that. Yeah. I realized, oh, I don't actually love basketball. My ego just needed what basketball did for me with a fragile sense of self, attention, mm-hmm. affirmation, the yeah. whole story. Yeah. And music was the same. I was like, okay, I'm recording music. I was rapping when I was young. I just got offered a bunch of money by a well-known drug dealer in my neighborhood. I tell that story in the book. It was slightly unsettling walking into the house that day, but it was a yeah. good offer in the end. Um, <laughs> But I, I, my life was changing at a foundational level when it comes to my own consciousness and when it comes to my social everyday life. No more basketball, no more music. I'm literally leaving yeah. everything, going to Hawaii to be with my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, and also responding to this experience with God. So, so it, it's fascinating I couldn't to me. stay it's, there. I couldn't stay there. Yeah, it's, it's, For me, I was it's, like, I'm getting it's away. That's why I ask the question a lot is because there is a, there's a way in which – it seems pretty regularly that actual places, the ground beneath our feet, in a way, like holds the our experience of life. That I that I am in, like I I, I feel it in my body and, and I experience it in my mind. I have thought, but the place I'm living in actually holds to some degree that experience of life. And there's and there's a power that that place has in my patterns, Absolutely. but also over me. That at times, like I. I don't have power over that sense. I don't, I don't have power over the place I'm in. I get to belong mm. to it. And sometimes it really does take having, divorce, having to divorce myself from an actual location in mm. order to find newness. Is there, are the things like specific to Hawaii um, and where you are in Hawaii culturally that make it easier uh, for you, or maybe easier, the, the more, uh, how should I say, more naturally support your health and growth? Is there something specific about the culture you're in, the pace of life? What is it about Hawaii for you? I mean, this it's one of these questions. It's not like it's. I mean, you already know this. You get this a lot, but like, it's not like like tell me about Toledo, Ohio. What is it about Toledo? Like, I'm like, <laughs> like it's like what is it about Hawaii? But for you specifically, like, what is it about Hawaii, the pace of life, like that supports your health and growth spiritually, psychologically? Why there? Yeah, I would say it's really different because that was when I was 18 and I'm 37. Yeah. So now I can, I could be anywhere and be healthy now because, you know, I haven't, I've been so far out of that. But at that point, like I'll tell people at 18, besides like after I had that experience of God, I never did psychedelics again and I never did hard drugs. You know, it took me a couple of years to quit smoking weed at that point. And what, for me, I'll say, man, no matter how powerful psychedelics and other drugs were, no matter this, the biggest narcotic for me to wean myself off of was attention and affirmation. Yeah. That was more powerful to my sense of self and to my ego than the other things were. And so at that point, 
when you talk about health and creating a path of flourishing when I was at that age in a big transition, when I moved to Hawaii and I went to college out here, I went from being like that guy yeah. to nobody. Yeah. You weren't it, known. It, bro, nobody. I was invisible. Hmm. Walk through the halls. No one says what's up to me. I'm just a howly guy for the people who don't know. That's basically what they call white. Yeah. Just like a <laughs> who's with a girl who looks local because my wife's Asian and she's very tan, but she's actually from LA too. But like they assume another freaking kook Howley with a local chick, you know, like, and because I'm not in the party scene, I'm not even like partying with people. I'm like that environment of invisibility and not being seen, which yeah. is one of the spaces people avoid at all costs was the very sight of me being born again. Because every day, when nobody sees me, I now have the practical embodied opportunity to ask myself, is being seen yeah. by the very source of love enough? So I would think on a bigger picture, that was the most important thing for me back then. Yep. That dynamic every day in a day-to-day, -day, the mysticism of the everyday life is when nobody sees me, I don't have the option to be like, look at me, look at, watch this jumper, ho, 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 like, yeah. You guys want to hear me rap? Hi, I'm Kevin. You want to hear me rap so I can feel better about myself for yeah. a minute? You know, it's, no, every day is no one sees me, but it's an opportunity for me to trust that being seen by the very eyes that are at the center of the universe, seeing me is all I have because it is. That's, but that's, that's all I have. So the the you use the word ego a bit in the book. I want and I do a thing uh, on a lot of the with a lot of my guests. It's, it's the, I just call it like it's a practice of lexicon. The, the words we use. Uh, tend to uh, reframe our experience, sometimes even dictate our experience of reality. Um, like what I call a thing can change what I mean, uh, it can change not just what I mean by it, but like how I experience that. So part of why we write books is, which you've done, is to reframe the way people understand things by way of language. And there's some, there's some language in the book I wanna, I'm gonna, what I'll do is I'll just throw these words at you, ask you to talk about this a little bit. And then I'll do kind of a longer form version of it this time because I'll ask some questions in between. But I want to begin with ego and mm. just say, like, when you use the word ego, what is an ego? What is the ego? Mm -hmm. Okay, one, because we jumped in so quickly, I'm going to take the liberty to just suspend that question momentarily. I'm okay, gonna cool. To it. One, so grateful that you're having me on. Oh, thanks, man. You know, just as a first time author before people have seen me like on other podcasts because I'm just recording them all right now. Yeah. For anybody to take the time to bring me on without seeing me and other things, like it means so much. So I'm so grateful oh, for you. You're this. quite welcome. I really am. Two, 2009 ish, I'm a part of Rock Harbor Church in Costa Mesa. There is a retreat that they do with some creative people from the church somewhere in Northern County, San Diego or something. Who is it led by? Justin McRoberts. I remember <laughs> you from back then. <laughs> we Years later, history. I was like, oh, I remember that dude. <laughs> we got some history. That's really so, good, um, man. Yeah. So I just wanted to, to say that before we I move appreciate on. That. Thank you. Now, the language, you know, for me, I don't. I'm the type like I don't take the time to always explain the language I use. I just yeah. assume it, and people can, you kind of just figure it out. If you're, yeah. if, if people have a world of imagination, a language and imagination and their own little economy. Yep. But for me, those words of ego, your separate self, a small self, your false self are all used interchangeably. Yep. And the ego is that sense of self that has been constructed for me and that gains its strength and foundation outside of 
God and spirit and being known by those eyes. Hmm. So it is an external, it is a self that is based on external formations. My, what do I do? Who am I? How do people perceive me? It has no actual grounding centered point, immovable foundation. And that's why it's so fragile. Talk, a, talk if, a little bit more about false. When you say true self, you talk, you know, true self, false self. When you talk about the false self, like is that is it entirely a bad thing? Is the false self a bad thing overall, or is there is usefulness to the false self? Mm. Yeah, when it comes to the relationship between your false self and your true self, and actually depending on who you talk to and how they view states of consciousness, there are selves that are larger than even your true self. But that that would be a different that would yes. be a further thing. But no, I don't there is no judgment of value when it comes to this natural and for for most of us undesirable simply because you get caught up in it movement between your false self and your true self you know your yeah. ego structure your ego sense of self that's just your default patterns that's the wisdom of the enneagram and personality things where it's like nobody chose their ego structure and their, the shape of their ego we've yes, been that's good genetics predispositioning cultural dynamics family systems right no one chose their default patterns yeah. like no one, if you're familiar with Enneagram, no one says, Hey, I want to be a three one day. Right. You know, it's like, no, you, your own mysterious coping mechanisms with the unique makeup of your life made you into that. And that's yeah. how you became how you are. So yeah. that's good. You know, your ego self is just that sense of your primary sense of self growing up that exists, you know, day to day. It's not even something you look at. It's something you look through all the time and yeah. it's not bad. It's, it's healthy. You know, it's. You have to be somebody before you can be nobody. You have to have an ego before you transcend your ego. And that foundational sense of self is helpful. It's just extremely limited if you want to move into a further place of liberation. If you ever want to move into the second half of your life, if you want to move into like there is a movement of encouraging the self on the way mm. to success, that would be your ego. And there's a movement of dying to that self on the way to freedom. That would be dying and collapsing into your true self in Christ that does not have to hold on to anything your ego used to hold on to because it experience, experiences at a foundational, it is being held That's good. by the very source of the universe. So even recently I was talking to people and we were talking about, you know, what do you want? Hmm. Right. And being comfortable as people of faith asking that question, what do I want? And I yes. would tell people the question is not you being a, you being afraid or asking the question, what do you want? For me, the foundational question is which you is doing the wanting. Mm, that's good. If the you is your ego or false self, you can go and do all those things. I could care less personally. Go ahead. But if it's your ego wanting things, that's going to meet the insecure needs of that. It's not going to lead you to freedom. It's just going to perpetuate cycles of stagnancy of <clears throat> where you don't want to stay. But if it's the wanting and the indigenous, the, the desires that are indigenous to your actual true self that are authentically your own voice, that wanting is what is going to lead you to freedom. That's really good. Um, in that con well, sort of in the shadow of that, um, I want you to talk about the word truth because we talk about true self versus false self. How comfortable are you with the word truth? What does that mean in the broad sense, the word truth? I mean, I'll be honest, even though like my wife and I are co-founders of a church in this, we live in the unofficial arts district of Honolulu. I mean, I could turn my com my camera and I'm like in downtown, basically. I'm on the 37th floor out this window. And I'd, I don't use that word a lot, to be yeah. honest. Yeah. 
especially in the propositional belief sense of like, these are the truths I believe about describing reality accurately. Like for me, truth is not primarily how we describe reality, although concepts are helpful. Like what you said, they name and deepen our experience. That's a profound thing and why language is so powerful. But for me, truth is the embodied way we interact with a a reality that's dynamic and unfolding. So a capital T truth in a conceptual way, I just don't really use. I just Mm. don't really think about that. But truth is, I mean, my guiding question as a teenager in my own existential crisis was all I want to know is what's real. Mm. That's all I want to know. I wasn't searching for Jesus. I wasn't searching for God. I just wanted to know what was real. And my primary, and this was a, a defining thing for me, was my primary foundational immediate experience of faith was not believing in any truth in a conceptual sense. It was the radical experience of a direct knowing of Hmm. a universal affirmation of yes and love over my life. So that's good. You know, and even though as a pastor, I don't, I don't really am not concerned with those arguments about capital T truth. I'm like, are we living truthfully? Are we loving well? Are yeah. we <clears throat> experiencing joy? I kind of more move towards that. Um, talk about church for you. Experience, history, meaning, health. Talk about church. You, know, I have had good experiences with church and I did not like my mom and I recently were talking about this actually and I went to Catholic school for second third grade and then I went to public school right after in fourth grade and for me and ten nine years old going to a school where in LA Unified School District where you can cuss and fight and it doesn't really matter that much that was salvation for me at that age hmm. I was like this is it Hmm. This is what I've been waiting for. This is the moment of <laughs> lift off for me. That's you good. Know? That's really good. This kid's cussing at me. We're fighting. I've made it. Mama, I'm here. <laughs> Don't take me back. <laughs> and like soon after, I just drifted. Like, I don't want to go to mass. And my parents didn't push that on me. And I'm grateful for that. And I told my mom recently, I left that experience with what I call a pleasant indifference. Hmm. Where... I didn't, it, I just didn't really care, you know, it wasn't, um, it, it, I didn't have oppositional, I didn't have trauma, mm-hmm. I didn't have oppositional energy, I didn't have anger, I didn't have any antagonism towards the church, which at this, which later on in life, I'm so grateful for. Yeah. But I also didn't leave with, you know, a sense of this is what it means to be connected with Jesus, you know, this is the way, you know, this is... You can directly know God. I didn't leave with that either. It was just like, huh, like that was a thing and that was okay, but I don't want to be a part of it and it's fine. Yeah. And I, again, when I was like, one of the chapters in the book is called Mushrooms and Missionaries. Mm -hmm. And it's about how, if you think of a missionary in a broad sense, if you sort of suspend, if you suspend the colonial dominating, you know, racist Eurocentric dynamics of that word for a sec, because language is important, like Justin said. But at its best, a missionary is someone who's pointing someone further towards Christ. Yes. And in that sense, if that's true, then mushrooms were a missionary for me because they were pointing me further towards the source, right? They were, when Buddhists and Roar talk about spiritual practices as fingers pointing to the moon, mushrooms were pointing me further. And I sensed that. 
And I knew that. I kept, it was like, I kept experiencing the mushroom saying, yes, but keep going. Yes, there is a glimpse, there is a taste, there is this peak, but I know whatever you experience on the peak has to be transformed to who you are on the path. Hmm. This is the peak, and it's pointing you towards something. It's a glimpse. And eventually, when I had that first dynamic experience of Christ, of God, of love, however I would have named it, Mm -hmm. I never did psychedelics again. So I'm like, the signs have been pointing me to the ocean, and now that I'm in the ocean, I no longer need the signs. Hmm. And I never went back to him. And even at 18, when six months later, I'm like, oh, man, it'd be cool to shroom again. Just because, yeah, it's for me, it was spiritual. But it's also people just want to trip out, you know, and yeah. get all groovy. And when I had that impulse to do him, I said, me returning to the the signs would be to betray the spirit they've pointed me to. And it wasn't like a pastor. I just, I felt that within me, integrity and alignment. Like I don't need to go backwards anymore. They've mm-hmm. pointed me. I need to live my life in the ocean and maybe perhaps depending on who you talk to as the ocean. Yeah. And so a couple years, like when I was in Hawaii, a couple years later, I bar- I didn't really go to church too much. I did. And I was like, cool, like sermons. I've never heard these. these this guy's awesome. And then I went to Rock Harbor and had a good experience. And my wife and I came out and started a church. So I haven't, like the church the last 10 years is the one I created. That's good. You know, and it's it's amazing and I love it. So that's been so helpful because when we came to Imagine, that's the name of our church, I'm like, you know, at the CAC Roars thing, you know, they're like the best criticism of the bad is the practice of the better. So when I came into Imagine, my energy wasn't fighting the old. Yes. It was building the new. And that was 10 years ago. I didn't come in with anti- antagonistic energy. Yeah, I'm going to be honest, and I have my critiques, and we I'll tell you any of those. Yeah. But I'm not physically and physiologically feeling the need to fight the old. And we built something so unique where I knew, I was like, I'm not spending my life dealing with critical emails on Monday morning from parishioners who are trying to hold the center. I don't care. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not doing that. I'm bad at emailing back. I probably won't even respond. Even if I should, even if I wanted to, I'd forget or something. Yeah. But no, like our energy is out here on the edges, creating the new. And I have my critiques of the old. I'm we're all continuing. We're growing. It's all part of the same tradition. And so for me, it's, I get all that. The trauma, the antagonistic, I don't judge people for that. But for me, I've been grateful because I've had so much less unlearning, undoing, yes. and not the anger. Like yeah. I didn't have that in that sense. In that yeah. context, you, I mean, you used the word deconstruction when you were setting up the book, when we initially first started talking. I mean, like the like even in, in like initial communication about the book, the word deconstruct, deconstruct comes up. It doesn't come up a lot in the book per se, but – it is it is part of the uh, cultural soup among the Dude. religious now. Talk about your experience of of deconstruction. Whether like, do you resonate with that word? Talk about your experience of of, of like what's become. And I I hesitate to use this because I don't I don't I don't personally love it. And my my not my my biases are pretty publicly known. But like, what has become known as like deconstruction culture. Talk about your talk about your experience there. Do you resonate with this? Like what like talk about deconstruction for a minute. Yeah, that's it's trippy and funny for me how big that word is right now. Yeah, bro. It's so fascinating. And I get it because 
you know, I go from this wide open experience of God in this contemplative, imagine like a wide open field. I ended up at a Bible college in San Dimas. It's the Life Pacific. It's a four square Bible college. Yeah. And I had a good experience. Like the people there were, were great. And about a year or two into it, I was like, okay, this is, it was like, I'm out here in this wide open. They give me this really, you know, tight box theologically. Mm-hmm. And here's your foundations. And about a, a year or two in, I'm like, that's helpful, but my life is going beyond this. Yeah. And if you zoom out to simplify things, right? I'm more of like a big systems thinker. I'm not a detail-oriented person. I'm like, let's look at the bigger pictures. If you zoom out from my perspective, when people are referring to deconstruction right now, it's actually just a move from one stage of faith to another. If you look at Fowler, it's from three to four. If you look at spiral dynamics, you're going from blue to orange or green. Like you, It's the first big paradigm shift where people are stepping outside of their beliefs instead of looking through them and looking at them and reflecting upon them. That's great. That's important. But that's just one stage. You're going to you're going to go through other stages later, hopefully, if you keep evolving. And for me, and I would assume you have your own version of this, that first paradigm shift of moving from one stage to the next, taking things apart, what's real, what's not, it's bigger than this. You know, how do I, what about, this is just tradition. This is because I grew up like this and going through that. That first paradigm shift for me was happening, you know, 13, 14 years ago, maybe long, like yeah. something like that. Yep. So I, I would have a similar energy at 23 you know, that I see in the broader culture right now. But that's because that first big shift towards the postmodern, towards the grain or the spiral, whatever you're using, 13, 14, 15, 20 years ago in our in the broader sort of evangelical, at least where you can see publishing type of stuff culture, that was very marginal. Yes. Emergent church, Brian McLaren, you know, why is Raw Bell saying this? You know, Doug Paget, he's like this, you know, and yeah. I'm like, they were doing that publicly. 20 years ago. Um, And many people who are over the age of 35 were involved, connected, learning and growing in that stage. So now I'm like, I get it, but I don't personally, I'm not there. I'm like, that is a first major stage of growing and evolving. And there's so many more stages of growth and evolution after that I can understand it. But my my energy source is so not there. Part of what I've resonated with in your book and in communication is, 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 is I don't have an issue with, I, this is, a, I, I think I mean to say this. I don't have an issue with deconstruction as a, as a concept. I'm, I'm a little bit of the stickler, obviously about language and how we use it. And part of what, part of what I, I'm resonating uh, with you about is that if I over identify with a particular understanding of what's happening in me, I might actually miss what's happening in me. So, mm. so when you talk about moving from one stage of faith to another, um, you know, the way you describe a lot of this in you and in the culture around you, it has more to do with, and Roar talks about this a lot, but like inclusion and transcendence that mm. like, it's not just a matter of like, we found this thing corrupt. This is awful. We need to tear it down and, and move on. It's also not like, Hey, nothing I've ever believed is true. And now there is no center. There's you're growing. There's and and, the, and your past, just like your false self, this is an element of who you were and by the way, are. And mm. you you can see this from the outside now and you're transcending. To be able to recognize it in that context, I'm comfortable with deconstruction from that perspective. 
But when I what the the over identification with the sort of broad, um, uh, semi adolescent, angsty, toothy, snarky, um, just critique, it doesn't get folks very far. And we end mm. up in that dead end where like this is no longer about my growth and what's going on in me. This is just about having a critique of a thing. I mm. I have, I enjoy your your angle. Uh, your posture more in the direction of like there's there's a thing happening in you there's growth happening in you you will transcend things from your past that will they will still be included in in your person in some way should perform there's just more of you mm. now i really i mm. really like i vibe that um you know it my book in in my like life as a pastor you know which i started my wife and i started a church at 28 and now where i'm at which is obviously you know, almost 10 years later my book is not here's where I was at 2021 in Bible college. Right. Here's how I did this. And it's not that. And it's not just the rapture. It's new creation. It's actually bigger than this. It's justice and the whites like that. I don't spend my energy telling people how I got from here to there step to step. I just am where I am. Yes. And where I am is I'm interested in life and freedom and creating more and possibilities and other people's journey and guiding them on that. Mm -hmm. And that that's a unique thing. So the wisdom, the vision, and the clarity, and this is not an arrogant thing that I might have on some things or that you might have. What's funny is your wisdom is not what people who are in that angsty place want or need right now. Nope. But there will come a time for them as they grow through that stage and they recognize it as a stage. And, and perhaps hopefully, like you said, realize the ways in which their ego has now attached to that as an external source of identity. I'm not like that. I'm not this. I'm the one. Exactly. Being it's like, cool. That's not helpful forever. There will come a time. And that's why when I sent this out to people, I wrote something like, while the culture's talking about deconstruction, something and things falling apart, this, this book's written from light, joy, and freedom on the other side. Because yes. after that, guess what? The work continues. Yes. What are you going to create? How are you going to love people? Are you going to become more free? You know, how alive, how awake, how present are you going to be? That's where I am. And so that's a, that's a funny thing to have that wisdom and the grounding and to say there will come a time where the the broader culture that's everything's deconstruction right now will need wisdom, mm -hmm. life, and guidance beyond it. It might just be a few years from now. And that's why the voices of people like yourself, the energy of someone like Amir, other people says, hey, after that, life just keeps going. Yep. And then you create, you can't fight that part for the whole, you want to be mad at mom and dad because they watch Fox News? Go ahead for a while. <laughs> you want to fight with your family on, on any form of social media because you can't help yourself, you know, because you're so over-identified with this and having such a hard time including those parts of you that transcending. So you're hating it in your family because you're really hating the fact that you were a part of it. Like, come on now. Yeah. There will come a time where that energy gets uninteresting, boring, and starts to crush you. And you're like, oh, the spirit is calling us beyond that. So I get it. Yes. I just don't get it in me because I'm not there. Yeah. You know? Um, so, yeah, I just laugh because I'm like, oh, like, if you want if you want to know about this, you can just go read a McLaren book from 20 years ago. You know, <laughs> yeah. or whatever. It's the same thing, you know? It's good. I want less angry now in some ways, you know, I mean, I mean, let's more, angry more angry now. now. Yes. You know? Yes. It is. It is. It is more. The energy now is to be pissed about it, which is fine. 
just don't when also there's money there's money there's money in deconstruction now so also that (laughs) always makes it hard money and click there's money and clicks now (laughs) i want to talk about a moment in your book um we talk about you know transcendence and inclusion um i'm going to read a couple excerpts uh from the book this is they're all very short um you mentioned going to church uh, you mentioned sermons and you said um just just now you mentioned sermons and going to going to church in hawaii and, and san diego and then here you write um through the past 15 years most sermons i have heard are encouragement for the ego management techniques for the false self and a path of holding together the very self jesus said needs to die and then you say this most preaching is cheerleading for the ego which is why Joel Osteen is not bad. <laughs> I, so I would love for you to elaborate a little bit on this. One is like, um, Joel, you know, just the phrase Joel Osteen is not bad. He's a really easy target uh, <laughs> for folks who, you know, either feel like they've transcended or they've moved on or whatever. Joel Osteen is a very easy target. Um, you said Joel Osteen is not bad. I'd love for you to elaborate on that. And then to go on a little bit about um sermons teaching in the context of church you know you you know most sermons i've heard are encouragement for the ego um talk elaborate a little bit more on this thought but begin with like joel osteen is not bad (laughs) well when i say that and i say that statement most preaching is just cheerleading for the ego yeah and i believe that because when we began this conversation or, or at least early on we were talking about the ego and the false self and what the ego is. And the first half of your life is building, strengthening, and encouraging the ego. Yes. Hopefully, not everybody gets there, but hopefully the second half of life is dying to letting go of and transcending your ego and collapsing into a self that far it transcends much further than your external sense of yourself. Yes. So the preaching that I hear is if if some pastor is just going off on this rant about you're like you have the divine helmet of salvation like i'm not like the best bible memorizer like, you, have- <laughs> you have this thing right here you are a child of god it's like okay well what i see them doing is actually fortifying and strengthening a person's ego they're giving them a sense hmm. of self they're giving them a positive self image you know like cuz not everybody has that and so developmentally that's okay because some people need that. Some people need to be reparented. Like, mm. honestly, sometimes when I hear preaching, I'm like, it sounds like they're talking to kids. Mm. It sounds like they're talking to teenagers. You know, it's like, this is a perpetual youth group right here, you mm. know, just with old um, or older. And so I hear that. I'm like, is it bad? No. But what that is not radical transformation. That is not liberation from the self, like I believe Jesus invited us into very clearly. That is the first half of life, the first stage of strengthening the self. So preaching is cheerleading for the ego. You can do it, buddy. You're great. You can make decisions. The world's not against you. God loves you. Okay, Mm -hmm. wow. That's awesome because I grew up in a house where people told me I can't do anything. So now that's important. Yes. So when I say Joe Osteen is the old, <laughs> is the ultimate version of that, he's like, you can smile again. Yeah. You can, you can do that. You can yeah. get a job. Yeah. People are like, what the, f- who is this genius? <laughs> right. You know? <laughs> yes. But 
<laughs> I'm like, Joe, I, I go on to say something. He's like the sweet uncle who sees you, gives you a big hug and says, you're doing a great job, little buddy. Keep going. Yeah. But what the further journey of us is, is to let go of the very self that Uncle Joel is smiling at and encouraging. And this and part of what again, part of the, the, the trick here is if I am with regards to like the stages of faith or the stages of human development, if and when I am the little buddy, that's exactly what I need. Absolutely. And to confess in that moment, this is what I need. Even if I return to that stage later in life, even if like I move through, because in some ways, like we cycle through in some ways, like I get to a certain place and, and, and I, you know, I, and I'm not beyond needing someone to come alongside and, and champion me in that way. Like there is no, you know, we talk Yo, about can I just go to uncle Joel's house for one night? He's so nice to me. You guys never affirm me. Exactly. There, there is, there is a, there is a humility in recognizing this kind of spirit that, you know, this is, we're going to get to, you know, conversation here about mysticism. There is, uh, there is a, a kind of um, freedom, I guess, in recognizing this kind of uh, path, this kind of process that in the same way that you just said, like, my book is not like, this is where I was, this is where I am, it's how I got there, get here with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, I am where I am. Well, mm-hmm. part of that, it, and it's, it's not just cyclical, but like, I do return to stages in my life where like, you know what? In the same way that there are seasons like I need to rest and seasons I need to work, seasons I need social life, seasons I need isolation, like there are seasons in which like I, I, so long as I live with a false self in some way, shape or form, which I will for the entirety of my life, I recognize that aspect of me still needs care at times. Of, and so the, whether it's therapy or the right people to say the right things, those are if I can confess it as a, in humility, those are things that I still need. The trick ends up being somehow is if, is if as we are in that, um, that little buddy phase where I need encouragement, we're also acting like we can be adults and parents. Like, no, be where you are in humility, recognize the limitations of your own place, recognize the limitations of the things available to you and what you need. And be where you are without casting judgment or like projecting your moment over the entirety of everyone else's spiritual process. Yeah, there's um, – yeah, I think one with what you're saying, you know, everybody has an ego. And you never – you can transcend, grow beyond, but it doesn't mean you eliminate your ego – Completely, it means your ego has less and less power over you, and it's less and less in the driver's seat of your yes. life. That's good. You know, so less and less. Like Mirabai Star, who to me is one of the great living mystics in the West, who I just you know love her stuff, says you know the false self, and I think she says false self in the moment or the ego. The false self is a practical joke that we keep falling for. Hmm. So, that's really good. Like, why did I just try to prove myself to that guy again? Oh, that's that little part of my ego that wants to give someone my resume to make me feel special. Oh, I fell into that. Don't need to judge myself. Yep. I just wasn't trusting in my true self in that moment, and I'm going to return to that. Okay, cool. You know, we, that's Beautiful. that's how it goes. Um, I think in a practical sense, in terms of like pastoring and having these concepts in mind, like I tell a story in the book. I won't imagine our church always had a unique wave of athletes from University of Hawaii like coming through, mm-hmm. and at one point there was two quarterbacks from the football team who were. A, 
a part of Imagine. And this, this is in the book. And one of them was like a redshirt freshman who was maybe supposed to be the next guy, you know, like foot, NFL quarterback body, like four, like that whole thing. But he was yep. redshirting. And there was another kid who I knew really well who was older. He took some years off before he went to college. He was older. He was a walk-on, like a, like a real, like, Rudy story. Great kid, like pastoral heart, you know, wants to be there for the guys, you know, loves the game, loves competition. And I remember during that season of their lives, the conversations I would have with them were very different. Hmm. One of them... You know, as he's like, I'm going to be the man. And the other one's just kind of like, I'm on the team and I made it. I walked on. He was like so happy and he was in a different place. One of them, when I would talk to him, it was like, hey, this is the younger kid. I'm like, you got this. You have to work harder than anybody else. Hmm. Know what you're capable of. That's encouraging the ego. That's just me giving him strength, you know, at that point. That was me telling him he can do it. That was me, you know, inspiring him to keep going. Yep. And our conversation was inspiration, encouragement, motivation, and support. The nature of the conversation between me and the other quarterback were very different because we're talking about why does a part of you still have this drive towards sports? You know, what do you really want out of this? What do you, do you need something else out of this? So I'm like the first conversation was encouraging, inspiring, and empowering the ego. The second one was about questioning, recognizing, and overcoming the ego. Hmm. The first one with the young kid, because he wasn't there. He's just like, I want my time to shine. I'm the man, right? He's not trying to transcend his false self. He just wants somebody to be with them, you know? And I knew that. I'm like, the first conversation was for the younger kid, maintaining a positive view of the self on the way to success. Hmm. The second one was about dying to the self on the way to freedom. That's good. Different journeys, different stages. That's us recognizing these, like sometimes I would preach at, a, at our church because there's so many young people and I would preach and be like, none of what I just said matters to you right now, basically, because you're 23. <laughs> but in 10 years, when life punches you in the face and you realize this whole thing doesn't work the way you, you think it does. This will be useful. Exactly. exactly. That was a dilemma I found myself in. And that's the wisdom of stages of faith. That's the wisdom of stages of consciousness. And that's also the witness to different stages of the journey. Like you can have a positive view of yourself, but there's this mysterious thing the mystics point us to, which is a capital S self that exists before, beyond and beneath. Yes. The self that you thought was yourself and you discovered in the end actually was. And it was more like an outfit you wore for a while you don't yes. need anymore. I like that analogy a lot. One more little excerpt from the book and just uh, the, kind of gets to a broader question. You mentioned Mirror by Star. Um, uh, later on, you talk about, uh, you mentioned, um, you said this is why Richard Rohr says that all, all real spirituality is about letting go. Mm. Uh, this is why Meister Eckhart said, no one gets as much of God as those who are thoroughly dead. Um, mm. This is, and you said, and I think it's, is it Ilia Delio? Yeah, it's like Ilia Delio is how I would okay. say it. Yeah. Wrote to, uh, to, uh, to say, I will not die is to die. To be willing to, to be willing to die by surrendering to the freedom of the spirit is to live forever. Um, there, there are, these are sources. These are folks. These are guides in your life Absolutely. who've spoken to you. 
Um, who should folks be paying attention to in terms of familiarizing mm-hmm. themselves with like this tradition? That, and, you know, mysticism as an idea for folks is really is sort of an idea. And, and you, you folks, you, we say the word mysticism and somehow like everyone wants to go, not wants to go. Everyone thinks like you have to leave, go to the desert. You have no more clothes. You cannot wear underwear. There are no shoes. Like mm. it's, you know, but there are guides and that Absolutely. are well within the tradition uh, that, 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 you know, Christians even specifically actually still belong to. Um, who should folks be paying attention to along with picking your book up, uh, which is called The Making of a Mystic? Obviously. Obviously. Um, <laughs> like, who are you paying attention to? Who should folks be paying attention to to get a familiarity with these these practices, the stages of life, stages of faith stage of development like who yeah. should folks be reading no that's great one i want to say something first before the the resources and the people who have shaped me and how to i see the different mystics as all different unique open doors to the same river that's been flowing through humanity there's different ways to get in you don't need to know everybody to get into the river but they're all like different rafts you hop on that help you get into the river and people have different entry points but one i think besides yes the book tells some of my own story it's mm-hmm. not chronological but it tells glimpses of my own story the making of a mystic what made me who i am yeah but also and i'm glad like you know you pick up on that in a sense it's for me it's the actual feel for the mysticism of every day hmm. so when mysticism or mystics feels very abstract or mysterious or strange or dangerous or scary to people yeah to me when you read the book it's it's about non-dual seeing, and it's also about choosing your kids over building a platform. Mm. It's about allowing yourself. Do you ever do you ever cuss on here? Should I not say this? It's in the book. Oh yeah, there's plenty of cussing here. I have a chapter in the book called "Feeling Shitty," and mm-hmm. so I'm like about allowing yourself to feel shitty sometimes as a leader mm-hmm. without trying to perform your way out of your feelings. That's what that's what a mystic is like on that Monday morning. That's mm-hmm. what it's like. It's about pastoring and creating from a liberated place that knows it has what its false self already seeks through its creation. It's, I put those, it's the cosmic and it's the cosmic patterns and the concrete person. It's zooming out and then zooming in on our lives. Cause not, when we, even something like non dual consciousness, which feels so strange, no, but the non dual has very practical fruit in your life of you no longer see the world as something to overcome and fight. Yes. And it, it, Jesus already said, you know, I have overcome the world. Yep. So we don't have to conquer. Life isn't something to conquer. That's a different way of approaching all this. So to me, it's the book is not about one thing. It's about many things. And then it's the discovery that the many things is all about one thing. So I look to feel the everyday flesh and blood. You know, the best translation of the word of God is not in Greek and Hebrew. It's in flesh and blood. That's very good. I'm through your own life. But now for the for the people you mentioned, you know, sometimes old writers, they're hard to get into because they're writing in such a different way. It's like, let's go read the early church fathers. I'm like, personally, I'm straight. Like, no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I desire to go read, I don't even know, Irenaeus or whatever. Yeah. You're like, I'll read some of the great quotes from other writers and I don't care personally. Good. Yeah, boil that, know, boil that down for me. Let me know how it goes. Exactly. I know their role and I do see it in the larger flow of the tradition, but I'm also like, I don't need to go back to that personally. Um, so sometimes older writers are tough. So 
when it comes to the some of the living mystics in the West, or at least who are accessible in the West right now, who yes. I see, Richard Rohr as a Christian to me is definitely at the leading edge of human consciousness. You know, what Ken Wilber would call the leading tip of human evolution. I think for a Christian in the West, you know, he's like, you know, daddy roar, you know, it's like, will you be my dad? You know, will you be my grandpa roar? Like take yeah. me in and I come stay with you in Absolutely. the summer. Yes. <laughs> so definitely roar and, you know, go, don't like people know universal Christ. There's new books. I'm like, dude, go, if you can go back, roar was saying things 30 years ago. Yes. Just now starting yep. to be accepted and appreciated in the broader culture. His book, and his book, everything <laughs> belongs. His book, everything belongs was the one like, was handed to me by someone, and it was because we were having this conversation earlier on about this exactly. But like, I, I would like to feel more okay with myself as I'm growing. Was the conversation like really early on in faith? Like, I shouldn't feel shitty for needing to grow or wanting to grow. Like, mm. I, I'm not. I shouldn't be propelled by guilt. I want to be like. I want to be drawn in by belovedness. And mm. and this this friend of mine handed me everything belongs, and it reoriented everything for me. It was like the spark. So if you don't want to read the, you know, the the voluminous, uh, you know, the uh, the universal yeah. Christ, go back to like because everything belongs is like a hundred ten pages, super simple Tiny book. It's beautiful. You guys couldn't see it's a podcast. It's not visual, but I had my eyes closed, nodding up and down for like ten <laughs> seconds while he was saying that because. That also, for me, I would say maybe around 2008, when I was like, you know, second year of Bible college, like this is good, but also it doesn't fully name my experience. Thinking about what I went through, when I read Everything Belongs, I was like, this is the first thing I've seen naming my experience. And then you said, that's the power of language. The categories are both naming and as a result of the naming, giving clarity and therefore deepening and extending. Exactly. You know? So yes, like everything belongs is to me. That's probably the first book I would give to a lot of people yep. for Roar. It's a great book. So I think for a Christian Roar, you look at something like Mirabai Star. You know, is a Jewish woman who writes in an inner spiritual sense. You know, she doesn't identify with one tradition, she, and she works. She does stuff at the CAC at Roar's place. You know, yes. so she's connected with Roar and all of them. But Mirabai Star's recent book, Wild Mercy, about the divine feminine has was one of the greatest surprising gifts for me of the last few years because and i i don't mean because i didn't i viewed her in a negative way i wasn't extremely familiar with her yet i'd heard the name but i didn't read her when i read that book it takes there's not a lot of times now where i'm like really surprised of by seeing a new space that i can tell has the energetic signature of the mystic yeah yeah, I love that because it's so rare. And I, when I, I, I just her book, Wild Mercy, and she has a book called God is Love or the God of Love. The she God wrote, of like, Love. Eight or Ten years ago, yeah, it's very good. Those two and Wild Mercy, I was like, wow, like the, it, like it moved me, That's you know. Good. And it, and I've been in a stage the past few years where I barely read because I have little kids and I've been writing. I just don't read anymore, to be <laughs> honest. I just had to accept that. Yep. Like I. At nighttime, the kids go down, read three pages. I'm like, I feel accomplished and exhausted. <laughs> how did I, I don't even know how I used to read. All done. I'm done. All done. Yes. So if you're comfortable, depending on the listeners, when someone who's not a Christian, Mirabai Star, honestly, anybody who's connected at Roar Sing, James Finley, his podcast, Turning to the Mystics, through Roar CAC, is so good. Um, Cynthia Bergeau, the wisdom, if you want a more evolved 
second tier of consciousness awakened Jesus, the wisdom Jesus is written in 2008 is so, so good. Um, And also I would say, you know how in different stages of our life, if you're really a learner and really reading and really growing and you're into that, you have like a person who's like, that's the person I'm quoting all the time right now. Yep. You know, it's for it's for two years, it's Peter Rollins, and for three years, it's Rob Bell, then it's N.T. Wright when I'm learning about new creation and my head's exploding, you know, back 15 years ago or whatever. Yes. And then it's this person. Think about this. Roar is that person for many people, including myself, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, Roar has been consistently quoting and drawing from Ken Wilber for about 30, 20, 30 years. Mm. So think about, think about the wisdom, the evolution, the expansiveness, the, in, the intellect, the greatness of Roar's contribution. And Wilbur is to Roar what Roar is to so many of us, right? Yes. Ken Wilbur's work, whenever I got into it, it takes a lot to get into. It's like being initiated into a new philosopher because like language, he has his own lexicon of language. Mm-hmm. Wilbur's work, for the past for me seven ish years, that's the one. Yeah. Cause I'm like, anybody who's giving, like, Roar has a, a Wilbur has a book called Integral Spirituality. He wrote in 1991. Mm-hmm. It, pe- we're not even there. No. People or, aren't or even there. His book, it's 30 uh, years ago. Is the, was it the theory? It, there's, cause there's, inter, there's, uh, there's integral vision, and then there's one called, uh, I think it's called The Theory of Everything or something along those theory, lines. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, Theory it's... of Everything, one of his smaller books. You know, there's other books to get into, but Wilbur for me is the great invisible voice that's leading so many other people who are translating. Like even so much of Rob's stuff now, I'm like, you know, obviously Rob's, just, you know, definitely a learner from Wilbur, you know. Um, but I mean, for me, Roar, Mirabai, Star, you know, there's a few voices now. You know, Thich Nhat Hanh, the Vietnamese monk, the mm-hmm. Buddhist monk. Who recently who passed. Pa- recently passed away. I try to say his name a little like not Tick Not Han, but like Tick Nhat Han, because my wife's family is Vietnamese, so my mom's got the insights. <laughs> you get on, corrected. My mother-in-law's got the pronunciation. Yeah. But all of his works, you know, being peace. You yes. know, he has one about you know the the Buddha and the Christ. I can't think of the name right now. You know, living Buddha, living Christ. Like mm-hmm. Tick Nhat Han as a modern day mystic who. I have one of his quotes up on our wall in our house where he's like, you know, the miracle is not to walk on water. The miracle is to walk on the green earth in the present moment. Like yeah. he's that he's for him. Yeah. I mean, Roar, Thich Nhat Hanh, Mirabai Star. These are some of the people around it's today. Really and and also I used to joke around about this back in the day. The only acceptable mystics for evangelicals is Henry now. And who's also brilliant. And he's just <laughs> yes. safer for some reason, you know, but he'll point they, you, but he'll point you to some deeper stuff as well. So absolutely. And, and he himself, you know, his, his stuff's amazing. Yes. You know, very, very good. Yeah. Um, let's wrap it up this way. Um, you mentioned, and we did, I mean, it's 2000, 2009 in San Diego. It's been 13, 13 years. Um, a lot has happened for you in 13 years. Uh, life is, you know, you are where you are now. Um, more so in like a hopeful way rather than like making plans. 15 years from now, um, what what will you hope for with regards to 
your church life? What would you hope for in terms of your personal life? What What would you like? What would you hope to look like as a person, professionally, uh, religiously, culturally? What do you hope that mm-hmm. life looks like for you fifteen years from now? How will you feel like? What What would What would feel like growth mm-hmm. fifteen years from now? There's a couple of things that make that specific that make that a really interesting and pertinent question. One in 15 years, our youngest son, we have an older daughter and a younger son, three and five. In 15 years, my son will graduate high school. So that's interesting. At that point, my wife and I will be like, what does it mean to be an empty nester? Assuming they both leave, you know, and go to school on the mainland or something. So that's interesting. So I'll be 52 at that point. And also that is a very, it's an interesting question for me right now because we just announced at the beginning of January that we're moving into the last chapter of the church that we started. Hmm. So I'm actually walking through the last, hey, let's do an intentional six months just back at our place, you know, small kind of conversational, just relational before we close down the church we gave almost a decade of our life to. Hmm. So it's a unique place. I will say this when. Last fall was the season my wife and I were sort of coming to terms with. We reopened the church after COVID and we're like, okay, where are we? What is this? Mm -hmm. Where are we as a church? Where are we? I always sensed I would do this role for about 10 years and we're going into the 10th year, but this is like such a big rebuild. Like what is happening? And started writing and I have this book and I have actually a second, you talked about letting go earlier. I never got back to that question, but my second, uh, this is for the next time. It's my second book is about letting go. Hmm. The joy of letting go. How one thing this is a working title, how one thing has the power to change everything. And, uh, you know, we were in New York city right around, right after Christmas with our kids, we surprised them with a trip and, I walked the High Line, the, one of the last days I was there. It's just like this converted train track, like an outdoor park. And I walked it very slow, contemplative, just in a conversation with myself, with God. And I said, oh, every 10 years, my life is completely upended. Hmm. At 18, I had that radical experience of Christ, let go, defied everyone's expectations on me, moved to Hawaii to start over. At 28, we left Costa Mesa, moved back here to start Imagine, and my wife has her own practice. She's a marriage and family therapist, so we upended our life again and took a massive risk. I said, oh, I'm about to turn 38 next year, and it appears I'm approaching another one of those Yeah, with Imagine and moving beyond this role. So there is a lot of uncertainty in mm-hmm. that. I will say, on a, I'll say personal and about the church as we wrap up, personally, Yes, there is all of the grief. And I'm a person who does not compartmentalize. I do not suspend hard things and let it all boil up. I'm through my practice, my daily practices, or however often I'm spending time in silence. Grief is just a natural thing that's woven into what do I need to let go of? What do I need to face? Oh, this thing. Okay. So, with all of the grief of the church, also, there's an exciting, energized, liberated imagination and sense of my vocational life because. I knew along the way my greatest gifts and strengths do not express themselves into in the role of a lead pastor kind of a person. Hmm. I'm not organizationally minded. I'm not administrative. I'm not strategic. I'm not thinking about the future all the time. I just suck at that, and I get stuck trying to organize all that and delegate it. That's yep. just being like self-deprecating. It's just honestly, I'm not yep. great at it. Nope. Um, I'm thankful because I, I learned along the way how to do be better, and I'm grateful for that. And I've I know. There are parts of me and the truth 
and of my own voice and what I can contribute that will have the freedom and the space to express themselves in the next 10 years in ways they haven't yet. And I'm really excited for that. And this book is, you know, the first big example of that, you know, yeah. that I'm really excited for. And so personally, it's a life of continuing to write and continuing to create and hopefully to meet more and more people along the way, like yourself to be like, man, these are people who I want to do things with and build with and do this event with and collaborate on this with. And I have the freedom to do that in a way when you're binding yourself to a community locally, which is good. If that's the season of life, I didn't, I wasn't doing. So for me, it's more this next year and a half or two years is writing, connecting and building a relational path to that begets more opportunities that are unknown to me right now. That's really so good. personally, the church, I don't know, you know, like Hawaii is a very unique place religiously, hmm. you know, like if I was in a Austin or I'm in a New York or I'm in a city like that, I could probably find a community of faith and a church where even if we're not exactly the same, I could still align with and be like, I could be here. Like I could be here without being like, oh my God. And I could be here without being a total pain in their ass too, yeah. you know, because I'm just like, come on. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, especially in trusting your kids to that community, that's a big thing now too as well. And so I would love to have options in the future here to have communities that I feel like that with. I, I'm honestly just don't know if and when that will happen. And I'm still leading through this last season, so it's not urgent right now, but the broader thing is I want more spaces that are hopeful enough for people like me to feel good being a part of. That's good. That's a great, that's way. what I hope for. That's a you know, great and, 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 and I would love to be in a place in five, seven, ten years to help that. Yeah. I don't want to go back to this role. I ain't never starting no church. I'm not going to be that role. <laughs> All done but there. To yes. Be I get a that. Part of those things and support those people. Like I would love that, yeah. you know? So I still have that hope Yeah. for, other people to come and be like, this whole thing's expanding and getting wider and we need structures and forums and communities that reflect that. I love that. Well, man, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. And thank you for joining me for this episode of the At Sea Podcast. If you'd like to follow up with Kevin, I'd suggest checking him out on Instagram. It's simply Kevin Sweeney one the number one. That's his whole handle. Kevin Sweeney, got two E's, Kevin Sweeney one at Instagram. Like I said, his book comes out on May 31st. It is called The Making of a Mystic. If, on the other hand, you would like to be one of the folks who makes these conversations possible, we'd love to have you on the team. Jump to patreon.com and just search my name, Justin McRoberts, and there I will be talking about this podcast. We've got a few things planned for the next phase of this podcast, and I'm going to be talking to patrons about that really, really soon. I'm looking forward to it, and I'd love to have you along the journey. Until then.